Well, here we are right in the middle of the week, and here we are at the podcast that we call Time in God's Word. This is David Carnes, and glad to be with you. I want to thank you for joining me. I always look forward to this time. But we are continuing now our walk through the Gospel of John, and we are looking at the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. And we find Jesus now in John chapter 2, where Jesus He is at the temple in Jerusalem. It is Passover. And as we look at the text that is before us today, we see Jesus working a miracle, doing something only God can do. Now, you remember that we started looking at this text this past Monday, starting with verse number 12, Jesus making his way with his disciples to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, there are hundreds of thousands of people there, thousands and thousands of people at the temple. And inside the temple complex, there were the vendors, there were the money changers. And so we set the scene, we we painted the picture of what all this looked like. And today, as we continue with this text, we see Jesus and we see his response. It is a remarkable event that takes place. And As we look at this, we have two points to look at today. The first point will be what we call simply the miracle, the the miracle that Jesus works. But then the second point will be what we call the zeal for God. Jesus and his great zeal for the Father that we see here in this text. And so with all that said then, let me do this. Let me just take us into the text now. It is John chapter 2, today specifically verses 15 through 17. Wonderful piece of scripture that we have to look at as we spend time in God's Word. Point three, the miracle at the temple. Now here we go. Point three, the miracle at the temple. We see this verses 15 and 16. And if you'll look at verse number 15 with me, this is what it says. It says, and making a whip of cords. Now this is speaking of Jesus. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. Now just stop there. Now, let me first say that right here, we see the actions of a holy, righteous God directed towards sin, don't we? That's what we see. Directed toward insincerity, directed toward hypocrisy. We see God taking action against those that claim to love Him, who claim to worship Him, and yet in no way were they true. And again, we see holy, righteous anger coming out of Jesus, God in the flesh. But we look at this verse, and when Jesus saw the insincerity, and he saw the hypocrisy being lived out in his father's house, the temple, the text tells us that he did what? Well, first of all, the text tells us that he made a whip. He made a whip. Now, there would be cords lying around all over the place, ropes, simply because the animals would have been led around by these ropes. They would have been tied up by these ropes. And so there was no lack of cord, rope. And so Jesus takes some rope, and what does he do again? He makes a whip. Now with that said, think of this. But a little whip 
doesn't seem much of a weapon to use against thousands of people, does it? No? I mean, the vendors, the money changers, the others in the temple facility, and yet the text says that Jesus took that little whip and he drove them all out of the temple. Now, with that said, let me say this, but right here, that's the miracle. <laughs> that's it. Right there. And understand, there is no way to explain it otherwise. We are seeing something happen that only God can do. I mean, we ask the question, how does someone, first of all, take a whip and then in the midst of thousands of people begin to disperse every last person, every animal, every vendor, every money changer, every last pilgrim, but then not only that, but he also he pours out the coins, flips over the tables of the money changers, and you've got to know the vendors, money changers, even the pilgrims, who had come to sacrifice their animals, wouldn't they want to stop him? Absolutely they'd want to stop him. Don't you think there'd be one burly guy who'd run up to him and grab him and throw him down? Don't you think something would happen like that? And again, thousands were there, and here's the point. No one tries to stop him. And as the text says, he drove them all out. Jesus cleared the entire place. And again, we ask the question, how does that happen? Only one explanation. It happens through a miracle. And by the way, remember, there were temple police. Now we're going to bring them up. There were temple police. The Roman soldiers were stationed at Fort Antonia there to make sure that order was kept. And yet, there's nothing said that the temple police intervened. There's nothing said that the Roman soldiers intervened. And again, the picture is the people just left. The people just left in an orderly manner, by the way. That is the picture. And also note this, but there is no indication that Jesus hurt anybody. He didn't hurt the money changers. He didn't hurt the vendors. No one. But again, everyone is completely obedient out of the text. Just an amazing sight to see, isn't it? You got a miracle right here. This is what it is. But then we move to verse number 16. Look at it. Verse number 16, And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, I want you to see this. But Jesus, notice that Jesus is in total control of himself. Total control of himself. And what I mean by that is, he's not some madman who was in such a rage that he had no control of his actions. Notice that after he stops the insincere commerce that was taking place at the temple, he then actually takes time to teach. This is what he does. He takes time to explain what he expects from the people of God. He explains his actions right here. He says, there is no place, for example, there's no place for insincerity. There is no place for hypocrisy. There's no place for selfishness in my father's house. And understand this, but what Jesus, when he said that, what he was literally saying was, there is no room for sin in the lives of God's people. I say that because when Jesus speaks of his father's house, we've got to remember that scripture says that true believers are the temple of God. 
that every believer houses God, that God dwells within every believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that. And so Jesus is saying right here, there's no room for sin in the lives of a true believer. That the house of God, the temple of God, the, the life of the true believer is to be one in which sin is always confronted. That sin is to be called out. That sin is to be repented of. And that sin, it's to be turned away from. That's what Jesus is really getting at here. But then with that said, not only that, but you, you see that Jesus, He references the temple in this way. Do you see this? He references the temple as my Father's house. Now again, let me just bring this out. This is a reference to His deity. The Son of God referring to the temple in Jerusalem as what? His Father's house. And again, the, the Son always has the same essence, the same character as the Father. And so again, yet another reference of the deity of Jesus. And again, that's the theme of the Gospel, right? And so John the apostle always pressing that and we see it here in the miracle and we see it here in the testimony that Jesus gives about himself. But right here, as Jesus speaks, he simply says, what? He's simply saying, honor my father, honor God, serve him sincerely, serve him with true love, honor him with your lives, respect him, fear him, come to know him. And when sin comes, turn from it. Flee from it. And of course, this is all coming about when a person places faith in Messiah, right? That's when that comes about. But what do we have here? Friends, we have a miracle here. That's what we have. That's point three. Here's point four. Point number four in all this. Write it down this way. Zeal for God point four, zeal for God, verse number 17. This is what the text says. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, just a personal note here. As I read through this text, I'm thinking of what happened at the temple that day. I can only think of how big the eyes of the disciples must have been. I mean, can you even try to imagine taking in what they saw? But they see Jesus doing what? He makes a whip. They're watching Him do this. And with that whip, Jesus drives out thousands from the temple. It's all done in an orderly fashion. No one gets hurt. No one comes after Jesus. The Romans, the temple police are not called. And then after the temple is cleared, Jesus speaks to the people out of love. And the disciples see this. But now with that said, let me say this. And that is, most importantly, what they saw, they saw something in Jesus. They saw something in Jesus. What did they see? They saw zeal. They saw zeal for the Father. A zeal for God. They, they saw Jesus, as the text says, consumed with God in His house. Consumed with God and His house. That's what they saw. By the way, the word zeal, it means hot. That's what the word means. The word also means fervent. He had a passion and intensity for God. Jesus did. And that's what the disciples saw that day. Now, as we look at this, let me just draw this out for a moment. Watch this. But I want you to look back at verse 17. Note that when the disciples saw Jesus doing what He was doing, notice the text says, 
they remembered something. Do you see that in verse 17? They remembered something. They remembered something from where? They remembered something from the Scriptures. And what they remember was something out of Psalm chapter 69, verse 9. This is where this comes from. It's a text that was written. Now listen to this. Here's the background. It was a text that was written by King David. A text in which David wrote, zeal for your house will consume me. And I want you to understand this. And let me just again bring this out. But when King David wrote that, he was seeing something in Israel he didn't like. What he saw was the people of Israel, they no longer were walking with God. They were not living for him. They were not worshiping him. And David would call the people to come back. And he was constantly calling them to live faithful lives for God. And he would call them out regarding their sin. And in return, the people turned against David. They didn't come back to God, but they turned against David. And David said that the people began to mistreat him and that the people began to hate him. And yet you look back again at what David said in Psalm 69, and let me just read the entire verse to you. But David wrote this in that verse. He wrote, for zeal for your house has consumed me. But he also went on to write, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Now, I bring that out because this is important. Listen to this. Understand that David, he was so hot for God. He was so fervent for God that when the people of Israel dishonored God, it hurt David. This is what David was saying there. David was saying that God, my zeal is so great for you that when someone sins against you, when someone dishonors you, I hurt greatly over this, God. It hurts me. And by the way, and I want you to hear me on this, but when you are spiritually mature, you will hurt when God is dishonored. You want to know if you're growing up in the Lord? Here's how you can know. When sin is a part of your life or you see sin in the life of another brother or sister in Christ, it hurts you. That's how you know that you're maturing in your walk with God. But that was David out of Psalm chapter 69. But now understand this, and we then with that said, we go back to our text, verse 17, and we go back to the disciples of Jesus. But when they saw Jesus on that day at the temple, and they saw his passion for God the Father, and it was so evident, his love for God was so clear, they thought of David and what David said. Again, I have a zeal for you, God. I'm hot for you, God. And when others hurt you, then I hurt. And that... Listen to me, that was Jesus. God was being dishonored through the lives of the people at the temple. At the temple, true worship was not taking place. True love for God, it was not being exhibited. Mockery of God was on display. Selfishness was on display. Sin was on display. And it was all taking place in God's house, the temple. And we could literally say it was taking place in the lives of the people of God. And the zeal for God in the life of Jesus caused Jesus to hurt because others were hurting God. Jesus acted and he called people to repentance. He called people to come to God, to love God, to live for God. And let me say this to you and hear me. But if you're a believer, 
you're growing in your walk with your relationship with God, then this is you. You have a zeal. You have a passion. You are hot for God. And whenever sin rises up, whether it's in your life or in the life of a brother or sister in Christ around you, what do you do? You take action. You confront the sin in your life. You confront the sin in the life of your sister, your brother in Christ, if they refuse to do so on their own. That's what you do. Why? Because when you see sin, it hurts you. And you have a zeal. But the true believer in Jesus, again, a zeal, that zeal is to live for God, to love Him, to confront sin when it rises up, repent, ask for forgiveness. And this is what Jesus expects. This is what Jesus wants. This is what Jesus desires from His people. And that's what He said that day. May this be you. We pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your words. We thank You for the love that You have for us that You would speak to us. Father, as we are in this place today, for the true believers in this place today, I pray that each believer can say, I have a zeal for God. And when I see sin in my life, it hurts me. When I see sin in the lives of a brother or sister in Christ and they do nothing about it, it hurts me simply because of my great love I have for you, God. That zeal. Oh, Father, may we want to live for you and love you. May we cherish you. May we be fervent for you. May we want to live in that deep, intimate love relationship with you. For it's in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus working another miracle. And I want you to remember something. But remember at the end of John's gospel, in the very last verse of this book, John writes this. He writes, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I mean, just think of this, but on a constant, continuous basis during the time of the public ministry of Jesus, those three years, Jesus was exhibiting the power of God, one miracle after another for the people to witness, constantly proving that He was and is God. And we get an example of that again right here of His power in this text. But then, not only His power... But his zeal is what we see. Jesus, just a wonderful, powerful love for the Father, a love that you and I should have. I mean, might you love God, love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and as a result of that love, just live for him, serve him, honor him with your life, trust him, obey him, and just come to know him more and more. But just a wonderful text. Glad I could just walk us through this. And so I look forward to seeing you again. Look forward to opening up God's book with you. And we will see you next time as we spend time in God's Word. <music>